Good morning, New City. How are you guys doing? Good. Yeah, hot, hot, hot. Um, who likes this weather? Anybody? Hands up. Susan, you love Yeah, Ian? Reminds you of home? I hate this weather. I can't stand it. Um, funnily enough, because I'm from Australia, you would think that I would love this weather, right? But why do you think I'm living in Minnesota? I've, uh, I've gotten colder and colder as I've moved in my life. I went from Sydney to New York, which was obviously hot in the summer but cold in the winter, moved to here. And I keep thinking, where am I going to move to next? Maybe the Arctic. Uh, but yeah, I, I really can't stand this heat. So anyway, um, this morning we're starting a new two-week series. Um, how's the sound on this, Jamie? It's, okay, it's a little bit ringy up here. Um, we're starting a new week, two-week series, so and I'll be here for two more weeks, so I hope that's okay with everybody. Uh, Pastor Carrie Jacket is starting on the 20th, which we're all very excited for, uh, to get her involved um, in our church as the interim pastor. Um, this weekend, she's got a speaking uh, opportunity um, at another church, and then next week, she's uh, moving one of her children into college, um, and then obviously, she'll be starting with us after that. So... And this morning, as I was thinking about kind of where we would go after this last series that we had finished, um, I didn't want to just have you hear another message, um, whether in person or online at home. Um, I wanted this message to bring a challenge and bring a sense of clarity. I wanted us to be transformed by the love and the inclusion and the change that Jesus brings. Um, that this message is just not something that we're going to be talking about, um, something that entertains our mind for a Sunday morning um, or entertains our heart for a moment that checks the box of Sunday sermons on, uh, in our community, but it, that it really does have the power to transform our lives. Um, and I don't know about you, but uh, again, I, I need my life to be transformed daily. Um, I, I need to constantly come back to that and have my life be transformed um, and renewed daily. Uh, I need things to change in my life. Um, and the best way that I've found that to actually happen is through Jesus and, and focusing on his love uh, for me and for us. Uh, so today it's exciting because I have this whole new series that we're jumping to, into. It's only two weeks, uh, but kind of we're looking around love is, love is, um, And it's based on the portion of scripture that Ian read to us, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, So if you have a Bible, I would uh, ask you to take it out. Or if you have the phone app with the Bible, you can take it out. Um, It's always nice to read along as we're looking at this. And I think that this is such an important word for our world right now, for our community right now. And to be honest with you, as I was starting to think about what we should share, what we should move into after understanding who we are. Uh, as a people in this community, in the city, in the state, in this world. Um, What's the next step for us to be talking about as a church? I really feel like it's love. Um, And love is such a big piece, especially after the last 18 months that um, especially our city um, and our country has gone through. Um, Love is really what we need to experience. Um, And not just hear about, but experience. There's a difference there. Um, Our world needs love. You need love. People here in person, people online, we all need love. Um, And truly, love is one of the most important and transforming powers um, in the world. And I don't want to just talk about uh, human love. I'm talking about that um, supernatural love. And the Bible refers to it as an agape 
love, um, which is a godly love, a love that transforms the inner parts of our life. So maybe you're coming out of this whole uh, pandemic, the whole COVID-19, um, and you're starting to get a little bit more into a rhythm of life. We're back here in person in church. Um, schools are just going back before summer break. Uh, work might be going back to normal. Um, whatever the circumstances are, I believe that right now we need to, in a greater way, experience love. And I, I truly think that we need that. So this series, I believe for us as a church, um, for those who call New City their home, um, God is calling our church into a place where we would love greater, where we're going to love one another greater. And that, that, that we would be known, like Jesus says, the world will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. And we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. It's not just kind of our actions. It's not just our words. It's a blend of both of them. You need both of them. So I believe that there's going to be a love revolution where the love of God is going to revolution our, revolutionize our world and your world. And it's an, a truly an important thing for us to hear and experience. So let's jump into the scripture. Um, and this is one of the most famous scriptures um, I'm sure you've heard in the world. And you've probably heard it thousands of times. You might not even be familiar with the Bible, but you've heard this. Um, I guarantee you've heard John 3.16. Uh, For God so loved the world. Um, and I'm sure you've heard Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And this is generally one of those three uh, kind of pillars of, of scriptures that you hear all the time. Um, and I can almost guarantee you've heard it at a thousand weddings. It's one of those wedding um, scriptures that you hear because it's always based around love. Um, so 1 Corinthians 13, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If you have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And this is a profound piece here. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, then I gain nothing. There's no point in it. And this is probably, again, where you, you, you pick up the verse and you've heard it a, a lot. This is where the list, the attributes of what love is really starts. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And this is my favorite part. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. Love never gives up, never loses hope, never loses faith. Now, as we begin this series, we're going to unpackage this over the next two weeks, what love is and why. Why is that? Because you cannot do love or live a life of love until you realize what love is. It just doesn't make sense. And I believe that love has been truly distorted in this world and we've watered down what love is and we've misunderstood what love is. And I believe that what we need to come back to is that idea of what, true, what love truly is. And through scripture and through the person of Jesus, I want us to understand 
really what love is. Not just so we know about it and we have the mental understanding of it, but our lives would be transformed. So to, today, the part one of this two-week series, we're going to be looking at kind of a, a topic called looking for love. Looking for love. So is anyone in here kind of looking for love? Probably not. No, nobody's looking for love. Um, maybe, maybe some people at home are looking for love. Um, but I want to pose that question to you. Are you looking for love? Because I would submit that we're all looking for love, really. Again, it just depends on what you think the type of love that you're looking for. We're all looking for love. And not just any type of love, we're looking for a real love. And I believe that that's a search that every human being has. We're all looking for love. But here's my big point. You will never live right until you're loved right. You will never live right until you're loved right. So in the next few moments, I really want to encourage you to let God to speak through this word today about love because you are looking for it whether you acknowledge it or not. We're all looking for it and you can never truly love, live right until you are loved right. So let me open us in prayer. Lord, we thank you for today. I thank you for the time that we get to share together here. I pray that this would not just be a word that we hear about love, but we would truly experience it. And Lord, we would never move on from this idea, this elementary truth, this life-changing truth. I pray that we'll constantly come back to you. And for those who feel like that they are unlovable, God, that you have proved that there is no one that you cannot love. God, that you have gone to the nth degree to prove your love for us through the cross of Jesus. I pray that the love would be something that we experience here in person, at home watching or watching in the weeks to come, that we would experience the very presence of your love. We thank you for today. We thank you for what we're about to jump into. Help us not to just hear it, but let it transform our lives in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hands up if you remember the first time you entered into a relationship with somebody. First time. Nobody remembers? Come on. I know you remember. You're a little bit shy to put your hands up. So you start dating somebody and there comes a point in the dating relationship where you have to cross a pretty significant line, right? What's that line? Anybody? It's the L line, the love line. When you drop that L word in a relationship, that's a pretty big line to cross, right? It, gets, it starts to get serious. It's like, man... Yeah, this is getting serious now. Uh, I remember the first time that this happened for Meg and I. Um, and looking back, I, I would say it was on a little bit of the quicker side. Uh, we, we jumped that line pretty quickly. Um, and it's nice because I can say all these things and she can't refute any of it. Uh, she's at uh, helping with graduation at the, the high school uh, today. So whatever I say, she'll watch it later and then she can yell at me later for it. But... Um, we were on a little bit of the quicker side. Uh, we had known each other for a couple of years in college, um, but we didn't really speak to each other throughout college until we met each other. Uh, late at night, it was after midnight in Grand Central Station in New York City. It was kind of one of those romantic movies. Again, that's probably why I like all those romantic movies. Um, and that was February 2010. Uh, I think it was February 21st, actually, 2010. 
Uh, we started texting from there, and then we started dating, and I remembered exactly where I was when the thought popped into my head that I was moving full steam into that L line. Like, it was coming up pretty quickly. Um, and that was the 3rd of July, that same year. So from February to July, that's all it took me. Um, and yeah, that was, that was very quick, looking back at it now. Um, so we were in my apartment. Um, things were, my, my hands were starting to get really sweaty and clammy. I was starting, my heart was starting to go. I'm like, man, this, this is definitely going to be it. Um, I was trying to conjure up the bravery to say it. Um, and then I said it, I said, I love you. And then she's like, okay, thanks. No, no, just kidding. She didn't say that. Um, but it turned into this whole big emotional thing. She was crying. I was crying. I'm like, man, this is not good. Uh, I, I didn't expect it to turn out this way, especially all the tears from my side, but hey, that's what we get. Um, but it was an amazing thing. It's a super scary thing to say that first time, uh, especially when it's something that you truly mean, um, but it's an amazing thing. And that whole, the, the whole truth about the concept of love is that it's something that we're all yearning for in, internally. We all want somebody to say it back. And we all have a lot of fears, relational fears, that if you, if you cross that line, if you say that thing, is it going to come back to me? Um, will they say the same thing? Will they feel the same thing? You're putting yourself out on that ledge. And as much as we throw around that wor word in a lighthearted sense, like, Stephen, I love you, bro. Like, it, it, it doesn't have that same type of connotation as if I would say it to Meg, right? Uh, but... The, the whole truth is that there's not one person on this planet who doesn't want to be loved. I believe that we are all actually designed and created for love. And that's what we're constantly searching for. That's why we're longing for it. And that's why you will do the majority of the things in your life because you're motivated by love. Not necessarily even because that somebody loves you, but you want to be loved. I believe the reason why people climb mountains, conquer certain things, or they want to achieve great results, it's not only the sense of achievement, but they also want to feel that love. They want somebody to say, wow, you're amazing. That's such a great thing that you did. We want to have that sense inside of us. I've had that fulfillment that someone has loved me. Somebody has loved me. I watched this documentary a few years ago with Meg, and I remember speaking to it. I know I spoke to Jamie about it when it first came out, and we were in awe of kind of what had happened. And I rewatched uh, a little bit of it again this last week, um, especially after I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday, there was a guy that jumped out of a, uh, a plane at 25,000 feet, and he was skydiving without a parachute, and he landed in a, a net. And so that kind of blew my mind and it got me thinking back about um, this guy called Alex Honnold, who's the, the main guy from the documentary Free Solo. Has anybody seen it? Hands up if you've seen it. Yeah. Free Solo. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, um, it's about this uh, rock climber who climbs Free Solo. So he climbs, um, he goes to these big mountains 
very, very big mountains, and he climbs them without ropes or without any gear. He just climbs. Um, and I think we have a couple of pictures here. Um, it's an amazing documentary if you have the time to watch it. Um, so he traveled to Yosemite, um, and he climbed up El Capitan, which is here, uh, and he climbed the Freerider out. And the scariest thing for me looking at this is not only has he got to climb up, but then he climbs back down to climb back up. Um, and the, the height of El Capitan that he ended up climbing was 2,900 feet um, without ropes without gear, without anything, just his fingertips. Um, so it's pretty crazy. So not only is he doing it solo, he's doing it free solo. It had never been done before. Like it's just awe-inspiring, um, some of these images. Um, again, you think about the cameraman too. He's got to take these pictures. Um, so in the documentary, he psychs himself up. He, you see the whole process of how he's training for this, how he wants to attempt it on one day, but then he can, and then he has to do it another day. Um, and the whole documentary is about him trying to climb this mountain. Um, and I hope I don't ruin it for anybody, but he does. Um, I, I'm sure you could probably put two and two together there. But in my head, I, I'm thinking as I'm watching this, what is he doing this for? Like, what is driving him to want to, to see a mountain like that? And be like, I'm going to climb that, but not only am I going to climb that, I'm going to climb that like nobody else has climbed it before. I'm going to do it without ropes, without clips, without crampons, without anything. I'm just going to climb it. What is driving him? And he's like, he, he says this in the documentary. He says, I just feel like I'm born to climb and I'm really good at it. And I get a sense of accomplishment out of it. But as you walk, watch the documentary and you start to pick up on a little bit of a different motive, um, you, you learn a little bit about his childhood, his family life, um, and he opens up many times throughout the documentary uh, and he talks about how his parents never said, I love you, to him. Um, never said it. And in fact, his parents only ever said to him, quote, hey, you can do better. And again, you, you just think about that as an upbringing and then kind of maybe he's searching for something through doing these accomplishments. So he finishes the movie um, with this, or the documentary with this. He says, when I climbed those mountains for a brief moment, I feel perfect. I feel this sense of maybe I'm good enough. Again, that's... it." it kind of makes my heart like jump a little bit because I'm like, man, he's, he's searching for something constantly because something's missing. Um, so this man was willing to climb a 3,000 foot cliff without ropes, for the, all for the internal drive of, I just want to be accepted. I just want to be loved. And he, he might not say that, but that's kind of what you, you get out of this documentary. And here's the thing. You, you might be thinking, yeah, that's a pretty sad story. I'm I was definitely thinking, I still think that that's a, a pretty sad story. But the truth is, that's a lot of humanity. A lot of people in our world feel that same way. I'm sure you in your lives at some stage, I'm sure myself at times in my life have felt that way. The reason why we do a lot of what we do, the reason why we want to have that sense of accomplishment is not just because we want the personal satisfaction, we want somebody to say, hey, you are amazing. That's such a great thing that you did. We want to feel loved. We want to feel it. And this is where Paul speaks to in the verse today. And this is why it's so important. Because again, we live in a world that says you need to do so that you can receive. But like I spoke about two weeks ago, the gospel and Jesus flips this. 
when we talked about Jesus in, in his service, he flips this on its head. No, we don't do things for love. We do things from love. We don't do it for love. We do things from love. That you and I serve a God who does not love us for the things that we do. He loves us because we are his creation. That we are his and he loves us. He loves you. So Paul starts to, to speak to this particular church, uh, the church in Corinth. Um, and this church in, in particular was an affluent church. It was a very affluent church. It's in a beautiful place um, in the world. Um, it's at a crossroads. It's, it's, it's right there. People are coming through all the different cultures. Um, they're known for their great accomplishments, um, not only in the secular world, but also in the, the church world as well, as well. They can prophesize. They can teach. Um, they've seen healings happen within their church. So they're, they're very well known. But Paul's kind of calling them out here, and he says, hey, guys, there's one thing you're missing. You're missing love. You're not focusing on the right thing. You're not doing things from the right way. In other words, you can do a lot of great things, but not actually do them the right way. You can do a lot of great things and not actually have love at the center of those. And Paul is speaking into that. He says, hey, without love, this thing is going to be so much harder for you. In verse 1, he says, without love, it's just like a noisy gong. In verse 2, he says, without love, it's like you're prophesying. You're moving these mountains, but you become nothing. Verse 3, without love, you could, do, you could give to the poor and sacrifice all these crazy things, but you gain nothing. So in other words, Paul is saying, without love, you feel ineffective. You feel unfulfilled. You feel unsuccessful. It's just noise, ineffective, unfulfilled. I'm doing all this stuff, but nothing comes from it because you're doing it from the wrong motives. So Paul's like calling them out. He's like, hey, like what's happening there? It's without love. So why? Because love needs to be at the heart of all that we do. And Paul is speaking to that and basically saying that you need to experience love first. And I'll go as far as saying the only one who can love you the right way is God. And you will never live right until you are loved right. Timothy Keller, there's a quote that's going to jump up on the screen, screen here. Timothy Keller says it like this. Before love is a behavior for the Christian, it's an experience for the Christian. Before love is a behavior, it's an experience before we get to go through that list, which we'll eventually go through, before we go through that list, love is patient, love is kind. Uh, it doesn't bring up, uh, it doesn't keep bringing up all these things. And we can see that it is a checklist. It, it is a list uh, if we think about it honestly. It's easy to read and be like, that's who I need to be for my wife. That's who I need to be for my husband. That's who I need to be for my friends. It's a to-do list. And that's not what Paul is saying. It, he, he doesn't look at it and saying, yep, we need to be patient, we need to be kind, we need to be generous, we need to be these things. He's actually saying long before it's a behavior that you live out, you need to experience it because it, all these things need to come from love. It's not saying that you need to do these things. It needs to come from inside of you naturally. And I want for you, I want for New City, I want you to experience God's love in this season in such a radical way that it, it redefines your life. 
because you are, again, looking for love. I'm looking for love. But love has already found us. Love has already come to us. And God wants us to understand just how much he loves you, how much he loves me. And and again, you can think, Chris, again, this is really, we're looking at love again. This is so elementary. I learned this in Sunday school. I learned this in kids' church. It's such a basic concept. But yeah, it is. Because again, we miss it so much. We need to learn it again. Because until the love of God changes you from the inside out, you're always going to look for love from the outside in. You're always going to try and find that love in other places. You're always going to look for things that make you feel loved. People that make you feel loved. Success that make you feel loved. Accomplishments, validations that make you feel loved. And God is saying, that's not how it works. I love you. I want you to experience that love. And then from there, everything else will happen. Everything changes. So what I want to unpackage for us on this, per, on this first um, sermon in this series is, how does God love you? How does he love you? And I honestly believe that the majority of the Christians have not really understood just how great God's love is. I certainly don't. I definitely have misunderstood this my entire life. I still misunderstand this. It's something that we constantly need to come back to. We can roll over it. Yeah, God loves me. Cool. Yeah, I understand that. What do I need to do now? That's a lot of times what we, what we get into the habit of. What do I need to do now? And God's like, no, hold on a second. What do you mean, what do you have to do now? Stay there. Stay in the place of love. Just stay in my love. That's what you need to do. Because if not, you will venture out, like I said, and you'll into that ugly place where you'll feel like, I need to do, I need to perform, I need to become to then gain. And God's like, no, just stay in my love. So how does God love you? So today I'm going to do something a little bit different. I've never done this before. I've been a part of it from the pews, but I've never led it before. Um, so I'm going to sing my point. I'm just kidding. I'm not, I, that's never going to happen. Um, I want to lead us in prayer throughout uh, my points. Um, and I really felt like this was a, a good way. This was a way for us to find a moment and pause on each of the points that we would pray it together because I believe that you can experience exactly what we're going to talk about today. If you're here in person, if you're online, if you're watching it next week, this is a way for us to constantly come back and experience God's love. So how does God love you? How does he love you? Point number one, God loves you without selfish agenda. Now, originally I wrote that point I wrote that point and I thought, yeah, God loves you without agenda. But then I was thinking about it. I'm like, no, that doesn't make any sense. That's not true because what's an agenda? An agenda is a plan, right? God has a plan. God loves you with an agenda. But the difference there is it's not a selfish, it's not a selfish end agenda. And if we're honest, the majority of the love we give can most of the times be with a selfish agenda from us. I love the five love languages, Dr. Chapman. Um, does anybody want to try and guess them, the five love languages? Anybody? Anyone want to name one? Service. service. Yeah, so acts of service. 
Gifts, yeah. Acts of service, receiving gifts. Yeah, words of affirmation. Physical touch. Quality time. Good. So, and if I, if we are honest, we often do these things for others because we want them to feel loved, true? It's nice to know how somebody else operates so that we can love them the way that they want to be loved. But if we're being really, really honest, and if I'm being really, really honest, we also do them because we hope that it would trigger something in them for them to love us back the way that we want to be loved. Hey, Meg, what's your love language? Did you know that I'm a... Did you know that I'm a... You know, like I'm trying to find out something from her so I can love her, but in the same time, trying like, hey, you know, my, I'm words of affirmation. I think, uh, you know, you can try and love me a little bit better that way. So even in our love, we can become selfish because it's our human nature. I'm loving you, but I want something in return. And relationships typically break down. Why? Because you didn't love me back or you didn't love me the way that I wanted to be loved. Now, I'm not saying that someone shouldn't love you the way that you want to be loved because that's not true at all. Not saying that that's wrong at all, but we do and we can have a motive within us that's typically selfish. And the thing is, God is the only relationship in your life who, you, who will love you without a selfish agenda. It's a one-way love. He's the only one. He's not trying to get anything from you. Why? Because God is God all by himself. He would not be God if he needed you to complete him. God is perfect. God is complete. He doesn't need you to complete him. Like what we need in relationships in our life to complete us. He doesn't need it. He can love you with a one-way love. You don't even need to love him back and he's still like, you know what? I'll still love you anyway. I will love you without a selfish agenda. Paul says this, and we read earlier about love and what love is, and please understand this, as much as these behaviors that Christians are, should adhere to, he's actually talking about the personality of God. He's talking about the heart of God. And when he describes what love is, isn't it amazing how he says, it's not what love does, he says, this is what love is, 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 is the key here. God loves you without selfish agenda. Love is patient. God is patient. Love is kind. God is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. In other words, it has no agenda. God doesn't love you to get something from you. And I had this thought recently that do you realize when you say yes to Jesus at the end of your life here on this big, big blue rock cold earth, you'll come to a moment where you enter eternity, you'll cross that line into forever, the biggest celebration ever known called heaven and eternity. And for those of you who might think it's all these chubby little angels sitting on clouds saying, that's not heaven. We can have that discussion later. But here's the thing you will enter into a perfect state, right? That's what the Bible tells us. When we enter eternity, we'll enter into our perfect state. You'll be perfect without pain, without suffering, without any of that. You'll be perfect before God in eternity. Now catch this. Even in your perfect state, 
He will not love you any different to the way that He loves you right now. No different. So what does that tell us? It tells me that this love is not, well, I'm loving you because when you get to heaven, finally I'll be able to get you perfect. No, I love you right now. I love you without the selfish agenda. So here's what I want to do for point number one. I would like you to pray the following prayer with me out loud. I want you to catch this experience, this love that has no selfish agenda. So I'm going to ask you to repeat. The words are going to be on the screen. Repeat after me. God, I thank you that you love me without agenda. I thank you that I can do nothing to make you love me more, to make you love me less. Help me to remember that you are loving, patient, and kind. Amen. I want that to be your prayer today. How does God love you? He loves you without selfish agenda. Point number two, how does God love you? He loves you with an unfailing love, an unfailing love. So when Paul starts to describe this love to the Corinthian church, he says, it's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when truth wins out. Love never gives up. Now, here's the thing. We all have trust issues. Anybody? Yeah? yeah. <laughs> it's interesting to see how many people raise their hands with trust issues because they might not trust putting their hands up. Um, I definitely have trust issues. The reason why we have trust issues is because something has failed us in the past. It's coming from an experience. You don't have trust issues until trust is broken. This tells me, sorry, for instance, I, I, I have trust issues with trampolines, right? Like, I love trampolines. I got, like, I do love trampolines. And it took me a long, long, long time to figure that out. When I was little, way before all the safety aspects and the new trampolines started coming out, um, none of these side nets or the padding that go over the springs or the little Velcro doors that stop you from falling off and hurting yourself. If you got too close to the edge, you were going to lose a leg down the spring hole. If you got too close to the edge, you were going to fall off and you might break a bone. Like this was, this was the fun part of trampolines. And I was fine with all of that. There was no trust issues there. What I wasn't fine w with was my cousin who pushed me and I bit the bar. So I lost four teeth. They got shunted up into my gums, chipped all my adult teeth. I'm still working on my teeth now from that time when I was little. Blood was everywhere. It was my mom's birthday. I spiraled into a whole fear of the dentist. So kind of just all whatever. So even today, even though I'm totally fine with trampolines now, I still kind of get that little hesitancy. Or even when I see the kids playing on the trampoline, I still get a little bit of hesitancy. Because again, something's been broken in the past. And it might fail me again or might fail my kids again. And that's the thing. We universalize our problems. Because it happened one time, 
It's bound to happen again, right? If it looks a tiny bit similar to the one before, we said, yeah, that's, that's definitely going to fail me again. Whether it's a trampoline or a person or a church or a community, we have trust issues sometimes. If we got hurt by something before and it looks similar, we might not fully trust. Again, we might be 85% or 95% there, but again, there's that slight little bit there that might cause us to think about things a second time. And I get that trust issues are formed because we've been let down, but the issue is though we have put so much hope and trust in things that will fail us. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but no one can love you so perfectly that they will never fail you. Nobody. Your closest relationships, there will be a moment where they will fail you in, in a way. And if you put your hope in that, you'll find that trust will become broken. And that love that you thought was so unrelenting, that love that I thought would never fail me, will fail. And you will be broken by it. But I'm here to tell you that there is a relationship, there is a love that never fails. You actually can experience a love from God and He will never fail you. This is what the psalmist said of God's love in Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. It endures in other words, it never fails. It never relents. He never accidentally drops you. He never accidentally fails you. He endures forever. And I want you to catch that. That God's love is never failing you. Even when you fail Him, His love never fails you. So I want us to pray the second prayer this morning because I believe that you and I both need to experience that, that reality of an unfailing love. So would you throw that second one up there, please? Repeat after me. God, I am so grateful that even when my love fails, your love never fails. Help me to remember that your love endures through the highs and the lows of my life. That your love for me never gives up. Amen. And I want you to catch that reality today, that His love for you will never, 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 never give up. But Chris, you don't get it. Like, I, like on my side, I've given up. I've failed God. Well, guess what? He will never give up you. It's a one-way love that you can rely on. You can never let God down because you were never holding Him up. God is not God if He needs to be completed by you. His love never fails. Point number three. How does God love you? God loves you without limits. He loves you without limits. It says this, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. 
Love never gives up and never loses faith. Love is always hopeful and endures for every circumstance. It doesn't have any limits. It doesn't have any limits. And if we're really honest with ourselves, I can't say that we agree with that all the time. We don't believe that all the time. Why do we feel like there are limits to this love? Because humanly speaking, we feel that there, we know that there are limits to people's love in our lives. Like, I, I can't fail this person because maybe they won't love me back anymore. I'm scared because maybe their love does have limits for me. We project that onto God's love for us all the time. And I had this moment earlier, um, early in the week on Monday um, with Sawyer. Um, he was getting out of the car in the Target parking lot in Chaska, and he swung the door as hard as he could to get out, and there was a minivan right there. Um, he was very excited to get to Target, obviously, um, as we all should. Um, but the minivan right next to us was not as enthused. Um, and I've never seen him be so upset before, like ever. Uh, he was distraught. He ran straight to Meg and was hiding behind Meg. He didn't want to talk. He didn't want to acknowledge. He didn't even want to be in my line of eye contact. Um, he's five. He's five. Uh, so he was trembling. He was upset. It was an accident. Don't worry. Dad will take care of it. It's just a little scratch, you know? Um, and as we were leaving our contact details on their windshield, uh, I started to think. I'm like, I love my boys. I love both my boys. Um, I love them so much. I, I don't think in my head, I'm like, I don't think I've ever given them a reason to fear, right? I, don't, I really don't think I've given them a, a reason to fear me at all. But even in his young, young, young little mind, at some point, there's been the thought in there, maybe dad is upset with me. Maybe he'll be angry. Maybe he won't love me. But little does he know, little does that kind of little ding, that little scratch, whatever, like it is what it is, you know? Are you kidding me? Nothing's going to stop me from loving him, especially that. Like, come on. But that's a very small, very, very poor example of what God's love is for us. That God's love never fails. But I've broken this. I've messed up that. I failed at that. God's like, it's all good. Just come to me. We'll deal with that tomorrow. We can deal with that later. Just come to me. My love never fails. It has no limits. So I want you to pray this third prayer with me this morning. God, I thank you for your limitless love. I thank you that even with my faults, my failings, and my flaws, your limitless love covers a multitude of sin. Amen. So church, what I want us to understand this morning, we will never truly live right until we are loved right. And the only one that can love you right is God. And what I want for you through this short two-week series I want you to understand that God loves you like this. And you are looking for love. 
And you could keep going on your journey and looking for love in accomplishments, in people, in relationships, in success. But here's the thing. That stuff is just like a noisy gong in the background. It's unfulfilling. It's unrewarding. It won't ever truly love you back the way that you were designed to be loved. Because we are all designed by God to be vessels of love. Not just human love, but godly love. And until you're in connection with Him, you will always be looking for love. When you embrace His love, when you embrace that love and experience His love, I'm telling you it changes the way that you and I will live our lives. So let me close us in a prayer for all of us today. And it's not just us prefabricating or perfecting ourselves before we can have it. I've already said this. God loves you without a selfish agenda. He's not waiting for you to get yourself right before you can have that love and that relationship with Him. He's saying, just come to me. Let me love you. Let me love you the way that you were designed to be loved. Let me have a relationship with you. So let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that you died on the cross for our sin and for our shame. Jesus, help us. Help us to live for you. To live for you. To walk with you. Today we receive your love in our life. Transform us by that love. In Jesus' name, amen.